Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Wednesday night. Okay, so we are going to continue in the book of Psalms, and tonight we're going to be beginning in Psalm 3. So if you could turn there, and I'll just give a little brief background, a little overview. Last time we got an overview of the Psalms, and we talked about what I think is one of the most beautiful things about the Psalms, and that's their universal quality. So it, it doesn't matter who you are, what, what uh, your background is, what you're going through, what kind of life you have, your, your career or your, your family. It doesn't matter. The Psalms speak to every single emotion, every single human condition, everything we go through, everything that we experience are in the Psalms, and they're so applicable to our lives because of that. Tonight, we're going to look at three Psalms that uh, declare David as their author. Remember, the first two Psalms had no author assigned to them, so we don't know who actually penned those Psalms. But remember, those first two Psalms were kind of like laid the groundwork, the, the foundation so to speak, for the entire book of Psalms. So now we're going to get into more individual Psalms and how they uh, kind of reflect the author's heart. And we're going to see here David as he struggles with a lot of things. We're also going to see his joy expressed through these Psalms. We see his cry for justice. You know, we see his cry out to the Lord uh, for him to vindicate him. And we also see him cry out in prayers for blessings for himself and blessings for the people. So we, we really get a good glimpse at David's heart in these psalms. Psalm 3 is the first psalm in where the, actually the Hebrew word for psalms is used in the title part of the psalm. That word means more. It means instrumental music or a poem set to notes. So we, we know, as we discussed last time, that psalms were meant to be sung. They were written in a way that there were musical instructions for a lot of the psalms. So we, we get to see a little taste of that tonight. Um, but just like any song... It can reflect joy or sorrow, right? It can show us deep emotional pain or rejoicing in victory. And whether it's a, a, you know, a worship song or a secular song, they still can affect us emotionally. This first psalm that we're going to look at tonight, Psalm 3, is a lament psalm. And it coincides with an historical account that's recorded in Second Samuel chapters 15 through 18. And this kind of the sad story, which is why it's a lament, uh, the sad story of David's son Absalom, and he, uh, he's trying to take over the throne from his father. 
He's trying to undermine his father's uh, kingdom. And remember that we start, we see a lot of this as the Psalms um, reflect David's struggles in life. And remember that just like David, our sin comes with consequences. And the consequences of David's sin with Bathsheba were really that he had a, he really had a, about as dysfunctional a family as you could imagine. And, um, and so we see tonight in this first psalm, and maybe even a glimpse of it in Psalm 4, although it's not as clear, we kind of see David's struggle in that. You know, how, how you know, especially your son, your, your, your child, your offspring, kind of coming against you. And it's a, sad, it's a sad story. So the consequences of David's sin, the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, the sin of murder for her husband uh, Uriah, and so we see that there's, there's wide-ranging consequences to his sin and to our sin as well. So jumping in here in Psalm 3, a psalm of David, David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So we see right away, it kind of gives us the context of this psalm. And then it says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are those they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. So we see here the first two verses where David just immediately cries out to the Lord. It's just, it's just a cry, Lord. It's like reminded me of, of Peter when he was sinking, you know, when, when Jesus kind of bid him to come out and walk on the water. And, and you know, when, David's, when, when Peter's faith was so strong and he just had his eyes focused on Jesus and then all of a sudden what happened? He, he kind of looked at his circumstances at the at the water beneath his feet and he and he started to sink and then help me lord the same kind of cry that we see here in david lord they have increased to trouble me many are those who rise up against me many are those who say of me there is no help for him in god you know what i love about you know the psalms as they express you know, the emotions of whatever the psalmist is going through, is it kind of gives us permission, right, to also cry out to the Lord in our distress. It gives us permission to, to, to just admit that there are some things that really, that make us feel horrible, but God is always there. God is always there to call on. And, you know, when we think about the the betrayal of David's own son. You know, that's, like I said, that's got to be one of the worst things that we can think of. You know, in, in Dante's Inferno, <clears throat> the book describes nine circles of hell where the wicked are punished for all eternity. The ninth and innermost circle is the circle of betrayal. Probably because Lucifer himself was the biggest and most infamous betrayer of all, the one who betrayed God, trying to usurp God's kingdom and his power. The same thing that David's son Absalom tried to do from him, betrayed him, 
and tried to take his power away from him. There aren't many things worse than really than being betrayed by someone close to you. We've all, I'm sure, experienced that at one point or another. So David was in distress, and not only that, people were talking about him. You know, people were talking about him. They were saying, where is his God now? Where is his God when he's going through this difficult time? Where is his God when his son is betraying him and trying to take over the throne? You know, do some people sometimes ask, you know, where's your God? You know, where, where is God when you're going through that medical, medical procedure or that diagnosis? Or when you have family problems or relational problems or, or the money dries up and, and all of that. And some people may, may say to you, I thought you were a Christian. Where is God? Where is God when you're going through this? You know, that's, you know, as much as betrayal is hurtful to us, when people start to kind of mock us for our relationship with God, when things don't go the way they think they should, right, that's, that's just as bad. But no help for him in God. And then Selah. Selah. So this, that, that, again, that phrase, that term Selah, it's mentioned three times in this psalm and it's mentioned throughout the psalms many times. Just meditate. Just relax. Calm. Calm yourself. Think about it. Think about it. And so, you know, David puts that in, in this spot just to show us that, that we're not alone in all of that. Yeah, we go through the same thing. We, we have people that are close to us that may betray us. We have people that maybe mock us for our relationship with God. But God is always there. Because notice this pivot. Notice in verses 3 and 4. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. And then again, Selah. So we see I, what I love to call in the scriptures, and a lot of times in the Psalms, we see them, the kind of this pivot. Uh, Lord, help me. I cry out to you, Lord. This is happening to me, and people are, are talking about me. But God, but God. God is always there. He's going to lift us up. He's going to encourage us. It kind of tells us here, change our focus. Change our mindset. You know, gives us something else to focus on. But God, but God. David knows the truth. And living in that truth. But sometimes living in that truth is the difficult thing, right? Practically living out what we know of God. Sometimes it's hard. Why? Because our circumstances tell us otherwise, right? The situations we find ourselves in tell us that God isn't faithful. But that's not the truth. That's a lie. And so living in the truth, walking in the truth, is a lot of times a difficult thing. And he looks to the Lord here, and God hears him. He believes that God hears him. He says, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. So as much as we, you know, David knows, he sees God's holiness, you know, his righteousness. But he also senses that intimacy of a relationship that he knows that he has with God. 
And that pivot goes far in affirming his trust in the Lord, even in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of a trial. That, that pivot of mindset, that change, but God. I would encourage you to think about that. When, when your mind starts to go down that road of distress and discouragement and pain, to pivot, to change your mindset, to look at the promises of God and to believe in the truth that's in the Scriptures regardless of what your circumstances are telling you. He goes on here in verses 5 through 8. It says, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 46.10. It just tells us here that we can rest in him. Just like David here says, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. How awesome is that? You know, when we're going through difficult times, how tough is it to get a good night's sleep, right? We toss, we turn. If something's always on our mind, we, we, can't, get, we can't rest. But what does it say there in that psalm? Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Never forget the promises that I've, I have for you. Never forget the truth of who I am even in the midst of your most difficult times. Verse 6 says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. And again, just knowing that God will fight our battles for us. That it's not our battles to fight. That God will go before us. He'll be behind us. He'll be uplifting us through all of those things. Not to be afraid. And you know, David was, was the king, and yet there were these groups of people that were starting to um, be more loyal to Absalom because Absalom, he was very cunning. He was kind of tricky. He was, he was a good politician is what it, really what he was. And he was getting people to rally around him. And he never really came out and said anything directly against his father, but he was just kind of putting those hints out there. Notice how politicians do that too. You know, a lot of times they'll beat around the bush. They won't actually say what they mean, or they won't actually say something against their opponent, but they'll say just enough that you kind of get the hint. That's what Absalom did. And he was starting to get thousands of people to rally around him and to go against David. But David says, no, I won't be afraid of that. I know that God is still with me. And then in verses 7 and 8, see, we, see God, we see David here praising the Lord. And he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. This is his prayer. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. So again here, we see David now kind of made that full pivot. 
Remember at the beginning here, he was, he was dejected. He was discouraged. And yet now we see he's, he calls God his Savior. And he knows that eventually God will make everything right. And I love that. I love that. David just sees the truth here. You have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. Now that didn't necessarily happen already. But David believed that God was going to sustain him, that he was going to bring him victories. He's seen past victories, and he also believed anticipating the future victories that God would have for him, that God will save him from his enemies and ultimately save him, you know, eternally. Eternally. You know, God is our salvation. Our salvation comes from no other. And then moving on to, to Psalm 4, it says here in, in verse 1, to the chief musician with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So again, here we see these um, instructions for the musicians. And we don't really know the, the circumstances surrounding this psalm, but we can kind of guess that it might be around the same time that Absalom was coming against him and trying to capture the throne from his father because we get a little bit of a sense of that same thing. But in verse 1 it says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Great prayer. Absolutely great prayer. How many times could we just pray those words you know, on a daily basis. You know, God, God, I'm in distress, but you have relieved me. We, I praise you. Hear me when I call upon you, God. You know, just the expression of David's heart. Again, crying out to the Lord, asking God to hear his cry, but he also praises God for his prior faithfulness. And we never can forget that. You know, even in our most difficult time when we're crying out to the Lord in distress, know that He's brought you to that point, that He's sustained you through all of your past circumstances. He's brought you to where you are today. And praise Him for that. Verse 2 and 3, it says, How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. But I know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. So we see here a little hint about the sons of men. He mentions the sons of men before we were talking about the thousands that were coming against David, right? So he senses that there are some that are following Absalom, that are going against David and his kingdom. And he senses that. And he kind of, these, these verses are kind of giving them good, solid advice. You know, why are you turning my glory to shame? Why are you loving worthlessness and seeking falsehood? You know, I think it's admirable of David in, you know, in everything that he's going through to think for himself. You know, I see the error of their ways. 
I see that they're going down the wrong path. I see that they're following, you know, a, a false teacher in Absalom. And I'm going to warn them about that. It's something that I think that we can learn from too in, in our lives, in our relationships with others, you know. And it's just the way that, it's just the way that he puts it that, you know, it's, it's well received, you know. Will you continue to seek after false teachers, things that are, that are not true, and then to just let, let them know that God has set apart the ones who follow him. And that's where we need to be. We need to be following the Lord. We need to be set apart to the things of God. And then we need to be telling others that, that you don't have to continue down this path. You don't have to continue in this way that you're going Seek the Lord. Follow God. Follow the truths of the Scriptures. God has set apart those who would follow Him, those who are godly. And that's not to say those who are perfect or those who are self-righteous, but those who just who follow Him. You know, the Bible tells us God is holy, that we should be holy. That should be what we strive for. That's what we pray for, is to be holy is to seek after him and then he continues to give them advice and he tells them here in verses four and five be angry and do not sin meditate within your heart on your bed and be still selah offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the lord simple advice simple yet very powerful. You know, be angry and do not sin. We've heard that before. That's in the, actually the Apostle Paul uses that in the New Testament also. That sometimes, you know, we can, we can sin in our anger. Ephesians 4.26 tells us that not to sin in our anger. So that also tells us that there are some there's some anger that is not sinful. And I think about, you know, I think about righteous anger, maybe. You know, Jesus cleansing the temp temple, right, was righteous anger. Jesus, of course, was sinless. So he did not sin in his anger, but there was no doubt that he had righteous anger against those who were, who were um, in, the, in the temple and they were defacing it and they were using it in blasphemous ways. So Jesus was righteously angry, but he, never, he did not sin. God's righteous anger with how he deals with the wicked. It's righteous. See, we tend to sin in our anger. We can't a lot of times separate the two. When we get angry, we kinda, that's kind of where we go. We just, we just go to sin. You know, whether it's you know, saying something that we'll regret later or doing something that we'll regret later or, you know, putting a, sending a, a, an email that we want to try to get back or p posting something that we want to try to pull back. And, you know, that's, that's kind of how we do it. But God is not like that. So he's trying to show us here not 
to, not to sin in our anger, but there is a righteous anger. And then, and then he says here, meditate with your heart on your bed and be still. Think about these things. You know, I think about, you know, like I said, sending that email or, or posting that thing to, to social media. You know, do we, do we maybe think about it overnight before we do it? Do we meditate on it before we send it? Do we think about it even in a conversation with somebody before the words come out of our mouth? Do we meditate those things? Are we still before the Lord? Do we seek God before we just sin in our anger? Or does it come out? Is it kind of that knee-jerk reaction? And then in verses 6 through 8, it says, There are many who say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. How awesome is that? And again, we see this complete change, this this turning to the Lord, this rejoicing in the Lord, right? And, you know, think about, again, what David's going through, just betrayal and, you know, mocking. And, you know, there are, again, there are people that are talking about him and saying, you know, who's going to show you any good, David? Who's going to show you any good? Obviously, you're going through a difficult time. It reminds me of Job's friends sometimes, Right? And, and just, you know, bad advice. But then David says, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. I love the words that are in these last two verses here. Light, gladness, increase, peace, rest, and safety. All awesome things. You have put gladness in my heart more than the season in their, that, that their grain and wine increased. So just fruitful fruitfulness of a relationship with God. David has that sense that, that because of that, because of that relationship, that he's glad in his heart. And then what? And then he can lie down in peace. Then he can rest. He can sleep. Why? Because the Lord causes him to dwell in safety. He need not worry about anything. God's got his back. He's got him covered. And David senses that. And so should we. We should just know that no matter what, that the Lord has us and that we should be able to live in those truths of light and gladness and increase and not necessarily material increase, but just a fruitful life, right? A fruitful life. And then peace, rest, and safety, all good things that God gives us, that God promises to us. And then Psalm 5. Psalm 5 is the first of several imprecatory psalms in the book of Psalms. And these psalms include prayers that sometimes seem like they're calling down God's wrath, right, on, on sinners or on, their, on the psalmist's enemies. But a couple of cautions as we come across these imprecatory psalms 
you know, a few times throughout, throughout the book. First of all, we don't want to, we want to be careful that we don't identify ourselves with the one seeking revenge. You know, remember, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? In Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine and recompense. God will make everything right. Sometimes we want to take out vengeance on our enemies, right? Sometimes in our anger we sin and that's, we want to get even. But we have to give it to God and trust that God's going to do it. You know, he said in Genesis 12, a promise to Abraham that I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God is going to make things right. He's going to always be righteous. So again, we, we want to make sure that we don't identify with the one seeking revenge. But also, not to think that God, who's a God of love, we know that. The Bible tells us that God is love. But that he also has this kind of this dual nature. And the fact that he's perfectly holy demands perfect justice, which he will, exa- he will execute that in due time. The justice will be executed by God. So we see in these imprecatory psalms that you know, a lot of times it's calling for God to pour out his wrath on, the, on those who don't follow him, on those who would sin against him, and sometimes on those who sin against the nation. Because remember, the nation of Israel was God's chosen. And a lot of the pagan nations around them would come against them. So these, some of these imprecatory psalms will, will speak about that. But it'll, it'll co- coincide exactly with what it says in Genesis, Genesis 12.3, that promise that God made. Which is why, as, a, as believers, we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We should pray for Israel. Now, Israel is not always perfect in what they do. They're not always right in what they do because, remember, although they were God's chosen, they're still led by flawed human beings. But we also have to have a heart for God's chosen, for for the nation of Israel. You know, pray for their salvation. Pray that they see the light that the blinders are taken off their eyes, that they may see the Messiah, Jesus, and follow him also. So we pray for that, right? And we, we, we believe that God will bless as we bless the nation. So jumping in in verse 1, to the chief musician with flutes, again, another just uh, musical instruction here with flutes a psalm of david give ear to my words o lord consider my meditation give heed to the voice of my cry my king and my god for to you i will pray my voice you shall hear in the morning o lord in the morning i will direct it to you and i will look up so obvious this is what they would call a morning psalm (coughs) 
Uh, there are some that are directed uh, as evening psalms. You'll see the direction in the psalms. But this is obviously a morning psalm. And what does that say? What is David trying to tell us to say? Look to God early in the day. Seek him early. You know, a, a lot of times people will say, well, get up early, extra early, even before you need to get ready for your day, and just spend that time with the Lord. And I think it's a great encouragement to just seek him early in the day. Let that be the kind of the, the way you start off your day before you go out into the mess of this world and into the traffic and onto the turnpike and whatever else you're going to do for the day. Seek the Lord early. And I will, it says here, in the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. Let that be our daily routine. It's not that hard to do. And if you work nights, then maybe your morning is at a different time of the day, but you, you'll work it out. Before you go out into the world, seek the Lord often, early and often. And not to rush through that time. You know, sometimes we feel like, well, we got, we, we got so much to do. You know, our time with the Lord is very limited. But, you know, is, is it the least amount of time that you spend during the day is with, is with God? Probably. You know, I think we can all probably admit that. But he, he deserves more. So don't rush through it. Let that be part of your, your daily routine. And then in verses 4 through 6, David here proclaims God's just character and that he aspires to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Isn't that what we aspire to also? To know God's heart, right? To have, the Bible says, we have the mind of Christ. How is that? Because we, we are in the scriptures. We allow him to speak to us. And then we know what he what he wants us to know, and then we love what he loves and we hate what he hates. And that's, what, and that's exactly where we need to be. So it says in verse 4 through 6, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So we see here what God hates. This perspective, though, that we need to see of God, of grace and justice. Grace and justice. Sometimes we have a difficult time demonstrating both. You know, either we're, we're way on one side with offering so much grace that we never give people the truth, or we just want, you know, to tell them how sinful they are and not not have any grace in that but God has a perfect balance of grace and justice and we see that God is gracious it says in 1st Timothy 3 1st uh, uh, Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4 this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's heart. God's heart. That's the grace of God. 
that he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But the other side of God's character, right? Do we, we know perfect justice. Matthew 7 tells us that there are few that will enter into salvation. But it says here in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. For there are many who go in by it. You know, a God of grace? Yes. Who wants, who desires all men to be saved? Oh yeah, absolutely. But he's also given us free will, right? And thank God that, you know, I look out and I can see that, you know, everyone here that I, that I know has made that decision, made that choice for God. But there are many out there who have not, and they are going into destruction. But God is gracious, and yet he's perfectly just. In, um, in Warren Wearsby's book, Be, uh, Be Worshipful, it's his B-series book on um, about half of the Psalms, and he says, evil is not an abstraction. It's a terrible force in this world wrecking lives and capturing people for hell. So why would we not want to tell people if they're going down the wrong road, right? That's what evil really does. It says here, God's hatred of evil isn't an emotional. It's not like what we hate. Sometimes we hate because it's, our, it's an emotional reaction to something. But that's not God's reasoning. It's judicial. It's an expression of His holiness. If we want fellowship with God at His holy altar, then we need to feel the same anguish, anger plus love, as we see the evil in this fallen world. To love what He loves and to hate what He hates. That's what we need to have. That's the mind that we need to have in this world. To love what God loves and to hate what He hates. And, you know, sometimes we think of evil as just this word and that's thrown around and People don't even want to use it anymore because, you know, they'll say, well, is there really anything evil? It's just a different of, difference of opinion or another choice. But God is very clear. There are some things that are just evil and wicked and they need to be, you know, dealt with. And he will deal with them. But we also have an obligation, I believe, to speak the truth in love with people that we, we associate with, people that we have, uh, you know, that are in our sphere of influence. And then in uh, verses 7 and 8, it says, But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. So David here in his last in his last section here his prayer to God. His prayer to God. And this is just him submitting. You know, the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. You know, that's something that we should want for ourselves. And he and he demonstrates that by his submission to the Lord. I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. I, in fear of you, in, in awe of you, Lord, in reverence of who you are, 
I will worship you, God, because you're worthy of worship. And that's not just in music, in singing. That's one expression of worship. Worship is something we do with our entire lives. It's, it's how we demonstrate our love and our commitment to God and our submission to Him. And then as we seek His guidance, we ask Him to lead us through this world. That's really how we show that we're submitted to Him, that how we show that we're committed to Him, by asking Him to lead us and then following as He shows us those things. And then in verses 9 and 10, it says, For there is no faithfulness in their mouth, their inward part is destruction, their throat is an open tomb, they flatter with their tongue, pronounce them guilty, O God, let them fall by their own counsels, Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. So this is kind of the imprecatory part of this song, the song the, uh, where David is kind of asking the Lord to, um, you know, to pour out his wrath, you know, to basically to fulfill his promises. This is a prayer for God to fulfill his promises. And it's not like he needs to be reminded to do so, but I think more for David and for us, you know, that God has this nature, this dual nature, this character of perfect righteousness and justice that will be taken care of. And also that he will perform all of those things that he's promised. They'll all be fulfilled because he's a faithful God, a faithful God. And then in verse 11 and 12, it says, But let all those, all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as with a shield. So this last part of David's prayer as he closes up this psalm is David calling upon God to just shower his blessings down. And not just upon him. This wasn't a selfish prayer. But this is, this is Lord, bless all of those who follow you. Bless all of those who put their trust in you, God. That's a, this is a collective prayer that David is praying here. And it's a beautiful thing because do we do that? You know, or are our prayers more self-centered? Are our prayers more like, what can God give us? How can He bless us? But are they also, you know, I know that we probably lift up those who are in our lives that are hurting, that are maybe have physical issues or whatever is going on, but do we ask the Lord to just bless the, the body of Christ? Bless those at Calvary Chapel Crossfields who I sit next to on a Sunday or a Wednesday, who are my brothers and sisters. God, bless them. You know, shower your blessings down upon them. You know, show them favor, God. You know, as much as you show me or more so that we can all rejoice in you, Lord. 
And that's really the reason why we ask the Lord to do these things. It really always goes back to Him. You know, if we have a blessed life, if we, if we have anything good in this life, it's why. It's because the Lord has decided to bless us. And He gets all the glory. He gets all the honor. He gets all the praise because of that. And so, and so we, when we pray, our prayers need to be, you know, Lord, bless us, but bless those around me. Bless those in your, in your body. Bless those in the congregation. You know, we pray for people. We should be praying through the prayer list, but just for people that we don't, we don't know, people that we don't know what's going on in their lives. It should never be a selfish thing. And it's also an opportunity, and as I close up, just to remind us that in our prayers, right, we, 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 our prayers sometimes are, you know, more for the believers, you know, well, Lord, I have a relationship with you, God. I, I know you've promised me things and your scriptures tell us, tell me, you know, that, that you want to give me an abundant life. I pray for that, God. I pray for healing from this disease. I pray for a financial situation that's difficult or whatever it is, Lord. But I pray also for my brothers and sisters. But do we also lift up those who don't know him? You know, is there a general prayer on, our, on a daily basis for, for God to draw more to himself, you know, for more people to come into a relationship with God. Because as we see here, David pour his heart out, you know, who do people go to when they don't have the Lord in their lives? If they're going through difficult things, who do they go to? You know, so our prayer can also be, Lord, Reveal yourself more to the, to the people in this world who are hurting, who have no hope, who have nowhere to turn. Because, Lord, you're the only one. You're the righteous one. You'll surround us with favor. You'll pour your blessings down upon us. And, Lord, you'll, you'll cause us to walk in your ways. Do that for more and more people. And that should be our prayer on a daily basis. Amen. been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org Thanks for listening and may God bless. You have